Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another Reaching the Summit College Basketball Podcast. My name is Todd Buckingham. You can find me on Twitter at ReachSummitPod. I'm Zach Dosh. You can find me at Zachary Dosh. I'm Greg Steeman. I'm on Twitter at Greg Steeman. And I want to mention real quick, we had about three episodes into our Summit League women's uh, basketball co- podcast as well. Madison Van Welligan, Scott Holland, and Jordan Decker are the three hosts of that. So uh, you can find it anywhere you find our podcast or on Twitter at Reach Summit Pod W. Uh, so really excited that we're able to offer on both sides of Summit League basketball uh, the end of this year and going forward. So, hey, check, hey, check, hey Todd, check. would you uh, would you love me to clean up one thing from the last podcast regarding the um, the uh, St. Thomas being in the conference tournament? So sure. I, I, I I did do a little digging here, and so the the official response and stance is that. Um, you know, so it wasn't necessarily just, just the conference saying this. It was pretty much all the members. I mean, like we sometimes forget that the members put together the conference to kind of help govern. So, I mean, it's really the what the members want. And so what they basically said is that um, they thought it was better for the for the player experience, for everybody to make the tournament. Um, and so that's that that was really kind of the, the driving force of it. So it wasn't actually all that complicated. And since. NDSU and the rest of Dakota schools had to sit out. There's been a pretty like there, there's really been a change so that uh, the precedence is really, even though it's not within the summer league, but in other leagues that um, that teams don't sit out. Uh, and, and we were on the right track in that it, it's really about making sure the new the newcomer is as healthy as possible. So when, when they do hit the ground running. So, yeah, I mean, it could potentially open up some doors for um some issues, but it was primarily done uh, because that's what all the schools wanted, primarily for the for the student experience. So that that was uh, appreciate the the conference for helping me clear that one up. I I just want to make sure I understood it correctly. We're just trying to get it right here. So perfect. They, uh, thanks for clarifying that, Zach. Yep. So well, since we mentioned conference tournament, we've got three weeks left. So you know, teams just depending on whether they've got their travel partner left or or. If they still have a game to make up, there's still a few to make up. They either have six, seven, somewhere in that range of games still to play. But three weeks of conference play left. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to just say, if it all ended today, where would everybody be? And what you'd have is South Dakota State as the one. I mean, that's not a shocker. They haven't lost in conference. Taking on Omaha. You'd have Oral Roberts as the two taking on Denver and Kansas City because they haven't played North Dakota State a second time would be the three seed taking on Western Illinois and North Dakota State would be the four taking on South Dakota as the five. If that ended up being the four matchups, is there a game that you'd be the most excited to watch out of those four? And does that mean anything for the path of South Dakota State, Oral Roberts or North Dakota State if they were the four? Well, I, I, you know, to me, that North Dakota State, South Dakota game is by far the most interesting. And, and lucky for us, they get to play tomorrow night, I believe, right? They're, they're yeah, playing yeah. on yeah. Monday. Yeah. Um, so that, that'll that for sure be much watched TV. I mean, that that's probably uh, the game of the week, quite frankly, um, just because the, the styles, the, the postseason implications, all the above, just kind of how they're trending, you know. Um, so that would be the one I would definitely watch. I think that would probably be. Probably the only interesting one in the first round, really. Yeah. 
I, I would just add, I think the Kansas City Western would be a good, an interesting game too. I think it would make for an interesting Sunday, put it that way, um, on the men's side. Uh, just because even though Kansas City is playing well, Western Illinois to me is one of the most perplexing teams in the league. You know, they've got yeah, a road win at NDSU, a road win at Oral Roberts, and yet some of their losses are head scratching in a lot of ways. And so um, I think they're extremely dangerous. And, and I think they played without Dixon, I think, didn't they this weekend or or at least one of the games? Yeah, he didn't. Uh, I, I don't know if he wasn't available or whatnot, but yeah, I mean, they basically rolled with six guys maybe six players yeah 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 because yeah. i think masman went played 40 minutes in a night but no there i i think that would be an, an interesting thing and then the obvious thing that you look at is you see ndsu on sdsu side of the bracket or the winner of the ndsu usd game on sdsu side of the bracket i just think that's um uh it, that would make for some intrigue without question on, on monday night well and i'll tell you south dakota state wants nothing to do with a, I mean, they wouldn't say this, but a, so yeah, Omaha, yeah, you get past Omaha, but then the potential of North Dakota State or even, frankly, South Dakota in the second round, and then the potential of Oral Roberts in the championship game, like, that's the kind of gauntlet they want nothing to do with in a, in a conference tournament. It is, but it's probably going to be the way it plays out. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, probably. And that's, I mean, and I'm not saying, you know, that the way the numbers are now, but they're going to see, uh, you know, a, a Kansas City team who thrives in low possession games, uh, potentially, or a or a USD who is whose bedrock is their their half court defense, and I think they've they've overachieved on the offensive end. And I shouldn't say overachieved; they've impressed me. They've they're better than what I thought they could be. Um, and at the same time, SDSU goes in there, you know, this past weekend, and and I, I don't want to say handles them, but but wins on their home floor by ten. So. You know, SDSU is going to have to, you know, outside of, the, of who the ever the eight is, at this point it is Omaha. Um, their their next two games after that won't necessarily be cakewalks. You know, I mean they they can make it that way because they well, they've shown they can play at a higher level than anybody in the league to this point. But um, tournament time is, it seems to, um, what should I say? Um, it always heightens some anxiety, um, puts some pressure on people, especially a team that everybody looks at and go, well, they're the prohibitive favorite. You know, they have everything to lose. Um, we'll see how well this, this team handles that pressure. Yeah, Kansas City's turning out to be a agent of chaos here, man. They're really yeah. they're yeah. really stirring the pot. I mean, seriously, they're they're just going right along. I mean, eight, you know, eight and four in the conference. I you know, they handled Western Illinois both times they played them. Um I don't know. You you're right. Their their offense is ticking up. They're really uh I it that's probably the biggest deviation from what we saw in the, in the preseason. Yeah. Yeah. Them, oddly enough, it'd be them against Western Illinois, two teams that have completely flipped the scripts, both one good and one bad yeah. since the non-conference schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it's funny because we talked about last week, we kind of talked about the team you don't want to face in one game being Kansas city, but can they really run through the tournament and Western Illinois being that team that could shock and run through the tournament, it almost feels like it's opposite to that. And it's been a week later, but there's just like Western just can't put together back to back good performances. Yep, it is. It's been a frustration for them. And, and, um, and, and especially basically when they have everybody available, they're, they're truly for the most part, a seven man rotation, which makes it difficult. You know, we've seen the top of the league 
demonstrate the ability to go fairly deep into their bench. Kansas City certainly does. And, and you guys both addressed this, that Kansas City is starting to win games in the 80s now. We never thought we'd be saying that. So but they're on an upward trajectory without question. You know, the, I think the overarching theme for all these guys outside of South Dakota State is just inconsistency. I mean, it's just – it would be really hard to bet these games, man. There, there are some inconsistencies here, you know, because I'm, I'm starting to uh, – you know, I'm sitting here as you guys are talking, trying to talk myself into Kansas City a little bit, you know. I'm like, you know, obviously play good defense. You're right. They're winning games in the 80s. Okay, it's time to come together. And then it's like, oh, yeah, they lost at Omaha. Yeah. how is that possible yeah. like and so it's like well like that kind of erases any confidence that you can have and so it's like man i don't know you know it's just like which team isn't going to beat themselves obviously we know south Dakota state but outside of that i can't have too much confidence in anybody right now really right well, well think about the fact that we're scratching our heads think about what the coaches are doing <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah and you know wondering hey what what does it take because i've i've said it's the same thing you know for a north dakota state team who um, is certainly capable, but their their ability to find a way to go five minutes without scoring in a game continues to be something that plagues them at times. And how do you work out of that? But I think every team, the next three weeks are going to be fantastic because we know that this, this is the run up, and this is where we we see who is on a roll heading into the conference tournament. And it's the old, it's not the best team, it's the team that's playing the best. And you know, throughout the course of the season, South Dakota has proven to be that that team. But who can get on a run and come into that conference tournament with their hair on fire and just kind of see what happens? Well, and I kind of want to go into South Dakota State to start off as far as talking a little bit about teams. So personally, I think it's kind of because it's just what people have to go on now. They're undefeated in conference play. So every time you talk about how great South Dakota State has been, at least on Twitter, you get a few fans chirping in with the, while they choke, you know, in the, in the summit league tournament kind of thing. And I would argue that last year they may not have even been the most talented team. If you have Kevin O'Banner on Oral Roberts, that there, there was no choke by anybody to not make, to not win the conference tournament last year. Um, So maybe kind of a two part talker for South Dakota state. They're three weeks away. It's looking very possible. They have a tough finish with at Kansas City and at Oral Roberts, um, but it's looking real possible they could go undefeated in league play, which I didn't go all the way back to mid-continent days and things like that, but that doesn't happen real often. I, it's it's tournament victory or bust for the Jackrabbits this year, isn't it? Even in a one-bid, any team can lose tournament? Absolutely. I mean, that, that's what this is all about. And, um, and you know, the, the, those people that chirp about um, you know, the fact that South Dakota State chokes, what, what have you, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, call it what you want. I mean, they've been better in the regular season than they have in the postseason. And they haven't been bad in the postseason. They've just been extremely good in the, in the regular season. I think that's kind of more of more of it than anything else. Yeah, I mean, looking at the net rankings here, obviously, you know, as we were talking before the season, you know, okay, what does it look like if we have a two-bid league? Well, obviously having a team run the table in the regular season, but not win the conference championship would be the probably best case scenario to try to get two teams in. But, you know, clearly South Dakota state just doesn't quite have that resume yet. So yeah, it, it's, it's going to be a one bid league right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the thing about South Dakota state is 
I mean, how about these odd games that they're playing where they're basically not making any threes yeah. and still handling them just fine? I mean, Douglas Wilson is still one of the biggest matchup problems in the entire league. He's He absolutely is. The fact that Baylor Shireman's posting up more now, that's another huge mismatch. Uh, and South Dakota State just does a, the best job I've seen of, you know, because obviously you can't play them straight up, so you have to give up something to try to take something away. And whatever you give up, they find it, and they just hammer away at it. And they don't get um, frustrated or whatever if you take away the three. Okay, cool. We'll just shoot a bunch of layups. We'll, you know, go to work in the post. We'll, we'll post up Baylor. We'll post up Douglas Wilson and, you know, have fun guarding both those guys, you know. And so they're just – I don't want to say they're becoming bulletproof, but I don't know what the game plan is if you're trying to beat them right now. It really hasn't shown itself. What do you guys think? Well, I'll, you know, the, one of the first points you made, Zach, is really accurate. Um, and, it, and it kind of stuck in my mind after they, they beat NDSU in, in, a, in a hard-fought game at home, going 1 of 12 from behind the arc. And then it's the same thing. They haven't shot it great over the last few games from behind the arc. And I think, if anything, it emboldens them, saying, you know what, we can win in different ways. We are not just a three-point shooting team. You talk about, you know, the difficulty that, that Douglas Wilson poses, and, and it's so funny because he is a, a matchup nightmare. I still have yet to find a post player in the league that can defend Luke Apple on the low block, you know, on a consistent basis. They yeah. throw, and there are different types of players. And then you have a, a, a you know, a past all league guy that's the third post they bring in and is still, you know, capable of putting 20 on anybody on any given night in Dentlinger. And then just their ability to, to utilize the, that perimeter rotation, the, the, the flexibility of Shireman to play however he wants to play. He has 15 points the other night at USD on eight shots. Just shows his IQ saying, all right, I'm all three behind the arc. I'm not going to shoot us out of this, but I'll go get 15. And oh, by the way, I'll just grab 10 boards too. Um, no, they are, they are far and away right now. The favorite and everybody else is battling for that two spot of, of the teams that we talked about earlier. So yeah, you can go back and look at past um, uh, first round difficulties for South Dakota state and, and the tip in by O'Banner last year in the semis uh, at, at the last second. Those are things that, that happen um, at tournament time. That's just the way it goes to, for anybody to knock what South Dakota state's done. It's, it's it's the easiest thing in the, to do in the world is to sit back and be a critic from you know miles away, but uh, they're they're a pretty tough out right now and they're a pretty complete team. Well, and like I said, it's kind of all they have to go on right now. Like I, I get it, you're an opposing fan, like you want to talk a little trash. You can't talk trash to the team that's 12 and 0 in conference. It's just <laughs> is what it is, you know. So you got to go to past years, but. To your point, Zach, this team feels way different. Like, even defensively, they're just so complete compared to past years. I mean, what, what would you rather do? Have fantastic regular season every single year and get in the NCAA tournament, you know, whatever, once every three or four years? Or just be mediocre pretty much all the time? And, <laughs> yeah. and if you win a tournament, if you win a game in the tournament, it's a miracle. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like it's more about of a, a perspective of, you know, in you know, context really than anything. Well, as a fan of a team that fired Dennis Green because he didn't win the Super Bowl and then went many years barely making the playoffs ever, um, I can tell you what my answer would be. <laughs> yeah, nothing, nothing worse than a, a 
a Viking fan chirping at a Packer fan for losing the playoffs when they themselves right. are in a pit of misery. Right. Just the yep. worst. Yeah. Then they just send you that meme that shows the empty tra- trophy case every time. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm a Viking fan, so I, I I'll I'll be the first to admit that's the worst one I see that I hate that. Right. I, I'm going to jump back quickly. I think the biggest key for South Dakota State is to stay healthy, and and for Douglas yeah. Wilson to stay healthy. Yeah. And that's been the the, the toughest thing. And and what 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 concerns you is, you know, towards the end of that NDSU game, he has an awkward fall. And the reason is he puts himself, and, and I'm not saying it's in a negative way, because of the position he plays, because of the manner in which he scores, because of the manner in which he's effective on the offensive end, there's going to be a certain level of physicality that's always, that always comes with that type, that style of basketball. He is not a big, thick, you know, post player. He is just a matchup nightmare. And you just hope that he stays healthy. And, and, and I've said this on the podcast before, and I, I told Douglas this, you know, when I had a chance to go down and do a game and he was in there two and a half hours before the game started getting shots up. I just said, hey, stay healthy. The league needs you. And I yeah. want the league to have all the best players healthy and at the top of their game when this tournament kicks off in, in, in about three and a half weeks. Well, it's a very good point. That's the way he plays. That's what makes him so good. I think I yeah. think every game from here on out, he's going to go crashing to the floor once or twice every single game and everybody's going to hold their breath until he gets up. I mean, that's, he, that's the he, truth. He had a couple of those at UND. He tried. It was, you know, that was when the game was like, I think South Dakota State was up like one with like a minute left or something. I mean, UND was just in a great spot. And Baylor Sharman drove left and threw an alley-oop to Douglas Wilson. Douglas Wilson tried to dunk over the entire city of Grand Forks. <laughs> it was unbelievable. If you would have pulled that off, it would have easily been a sports center. But, you know, he wasn't able to do that. And then he goes crashing into the support and all this stuff. And it's just like, holy smokes. You know, I don't even watch the fast break going the other way. I'm just kind of glancing over to make sure he's getting up. So that's, that's just going to be the nature of it. You know, I mean, that's. <laughs> he's the Byron know. Buxton of the Summit League. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah. 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 Douglas, if you were just like me and you could barely get off the ground, injuries <laughs> very rarely happen that oh. way. Absolutely. That's one why I've never blown out my knee. I've never really, that's, I just play below the rim, man. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, trust me, if, you know, I could be dunking all over the place, but I got to save the knees. Right. You know, that's right. Right. That's right. Zach. That's what we always had in the scouting report. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about the above the rim stuff. He's playing it smart now. (laughs) So, so I want to go to, I have a strong feeling mainly because I get gather in the votes for the power rankings North Dakota State almost overtook Oral Roberts uh, last week in the power rankings, and Oral Roberts lost Western Illinois while North Dakota State held firm. Kind of a two-part question. We've been kind of hard on North Dakota State. Are we too hard on them? Although we've asked this question about Oral Roberts before. And are they starting to look, with Grant Nelson back and Andrew Morgan back, like the second-best team in the Summit, even though they're still a game and a half or so behind Oral Roberts? You know, I'll, I'll just you know, chime in quickly because I had a chance to do both of their games Thursday and Saturday. And, and it was interesting. You, you brought up Grant Nelson. And, and you know, Thursday, uh, both Dom and, and myself, we watched Grant Nelson. And it seemed like he was still tentative. I think he I, – I don't think he scored. He was uh, – he just didn't seem like the Grant Nelson, you know, that, that we've mm-hmm. grown accustomed to. And I won't lie. It was like a switch was flipped. When he played on Saturday – um, he was he was a different type of player, and uh, and he had one of those um, off the bounce wasn't off an alley oop where he tried to, <laughs> tried to dunk on South Fargo, um, 
uh, he missed it, but it was, it was, you know, Dom and I kind of looked at each other and go, uh, this is not the same kid we watched on Thursday. And if he is back right. to that level of player, he brings an added dimension, added depth in the post. And the other thing I'll say is, is, uh, Andrew Morgan is back. He looks much more, uh, conditioned and, uh, up and down the floor. And he, he's going to take some minutes off of, you know, he's going to, North Dakota State's not going to be forced to play Rocky Cruiser 36 minutes because Andrew Morgan brings a presence down there, a physical presence on the defensive end. He likes to mix it up on the offensive end, on the block. Um, you know, if they can continue to, to keep their full complement of players available, I do think they're a much better team. Yes, my primary concern, and I've said it on the air, is their ability to be an efficient offensive team when Sam Griesel goes to the bench. Now, Sam Griesel is probably conditioned as well as anybody in the league to play 38 minutes. We all know that. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. You'd love to be able to give the guy a breather here and there and not see your offensive efficiency fall off. But this comes along with expectations. We all, I mean, I, I voted NDSU preseason number one, and it wasn't a knock at South Dakota State. It was because of the group that they had coming back. And you become a victim of your expectations at times. But True. that's something that coaches have to prepare these kids for. And say, you know what? Stop reading the outside noise. Here's what we need to do. Here are the things that we need to get better at. And uh, so we end up nitpicking at times. And, and I'm as guilty of it as anybody. And uh, But I do think there's still a team that can really um, cause teams problem in, problems in the half court with their defense, their ability to match up, sometimes to switch all screens, depending on the lineup they have on the floor, and, and literally have guys – have a matchup advantage height-wise and length-wise at every position on the floor. And uh, so I, 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 I'm not saying we're, we're too hard on them, but I'm at the same, at the same time, <coughs> excuse me, uh, I think it's okay to, to, to just make observations about what they're capable of, but at the, I still believe they're one of the teams that it, it wouldn't shock me in four weeks if they're announced as a 15 or 16 in the NCAA tournament. Mm. I'll uh, I'll let them off the hook a little bit. I don't like doing that, but I think Grant Nelson is as impactful as anybody in the conference outside of Max Asmus. Um, I think he's he has that type of impact on the game. I think he was, or I should say that at least he was trending in that direction. You know, you could argue maybe he was there, maybe he wasn't, but I think he was trending in that direction. I think he was really coming into his own, you know, just inside and outside. I think him and Rocky were, were getting better playing together, getting more comfortable. And, you know, when he's when you, when you have Rocky Cruiser on the strong side and then you have Grant Nelson coming over from the help side on defense, what that doesn't leave you a whole lot of options uh, for an offense. You know, um, I, I think he is that impactful. And so to not have him. And for a long stretch of time, when he comes back, obviously he's still trying to work himself in. I do think that that definitely changes things. Now, obviously, they still have a, a good team around him. Um, but I think he's a special player. And he, as we know, you know, especially coming down the stretch here and in the conference tournament, it largely comes down to special players making special plays. You know, the Max Asmus is the Kevin O'Banners, the like, and he is that type of game changer, special player. And so, for that reason, because he hasn't uh, been what he could be, or at least trending to where he was, uh, I'll, I'll give him a little bit of a break. Um, maybe we are a little hard on him, but you know, at the same time, you know, 
expectations are a privilege. So. Well, and I think I said this to two of you guys just via text or when we were chatting, not on the podcast. One of the things with both Oral Roberts and North Dakota State is I just felt with the the weird COVID year and being able to bring players back, I thought we had three sub 100 net teams in the summit, which is unique and would change where South Dakota State was going perfect in the league and, and where they're at with, with possible seeds and different things like that. And just there's been some inconsistencies with both North Dakota State and um, Oral Roberts. So that uh, they they don't care about my expectations, but it does change the way I view things. You know, we view Denver in a different light because of what Denver had to overcome from last year. And so that's that's where I wanted to why I wanted to bring up the question. You know, there's been some injury issues with North Dakota State. Oral Roberts didn't have Kevin O'Banner. That's obviously a big difference. Um, so maybe I don't even know that we were too high on them to begin the year, but I, I think we could get that we could still see from both both of those teams what we were hoping to get from the beginning of the season. I mean, I, I don't think you were wrong in, in thinking that they could all be sub 100 net teams. You know, Douglas Wilson and Rocky Cruiser aren't supposed to be in this league. Right. They're supposed to be graduated and playing basketball overseas right now. And so there's reason to believe that this could be a special situation because there's unprecedented things going on with these rosters, right? So right. I uh, I do think that's accurate, but there's also a good explanation why it hasn't necessarily happened. That's that's due to injuries and you know Sam Griesel's situation and Grant Nelson's situation, you know. So like like that's pretty legitimate. So um, there's just probably enough time to round into shape before the conference tournament, though. But th- there's no question that NSU does have a little ways to go. You know, it's it's like having a really nice car and all of a sudden the check engine light comes on and it's just like check check engine light what why would this come on like this is a nice car what it's not this is not supposed to happen uh is this just a sensor reading that's going wrong or is this actually something i don't know that's what we're trying to figure out and uh you know obviously a huge step comes tomorrow night because south dakota is going to test them you know right. it's just that south dakota is not a team that's just going to lay down or beat themselves so we'll know what we have tomorrow night All right, so on to the other team that is in that same mold of North Dakota State, Oral Roberts. Oh, I've been accused of being the uh, the president of the Elijah Lufile fan club, so bear with me if we do a little bit too much um, Elijah Lufile on the podcast. But I, I go back to trying to think of what could change the Oral Roberts um, inconsistencies. Obviously, with Max that this team could make a run anywhere, including the tournament. Um, but I did some digging in the numbers, and, and Elijah Lufile has played six games that he's played at least 20 minutes, um, nine games where he's – or ten games where he's played at least 15. They're nine and one in those ten games. He's averaged 13.2 points, 8.7 rebounds in the games that he's played 15 minutes. And he's shot more free throws than the two starting forwards on the team. I – so I'll ask it this way, because I don't want it to be just about that player. And maybe, Greg, you could answer this, or Zach, in your playing times. Is there ever a time where you switch up when you get closer to tournament play or even in the tournament? What has been your identity, or is it too much to to mess with at that point? Because I think of the size that he brings in. He may be the best athlete in the Summit. And with that size, and but... 
then when you think about it, their identity has been what their identity is, and you can't argue with the overall success either. Is it too much to just mess around with something that's been a pretty decent thing? Well, I, you know, the, the coaches in this league are, are much smarter, much better, and, and, and much more successful than I, I could ever have hoped to have been. And so you, when you get into coaching styles and philosophies, I think what you try to find a way to do is how do I utilize, you know, the – the, the best talent on the roster at certain times throughout the course of the game. Does it mean they totally change philosophies? Not necessarily, but does it mean that when a, when a guy like you feel is in the game, you can maybe alter kind of the manner in which you attack things offensively um, yeah, things along those lines. I, I think you, you have to coach the way you're the most comfortable coaching and t- you typically re- recruit to a style that, that, you know, complements how you coach and, and what you want to accomplish as a coaching staff. And so um, I, I, I don't think you have to necessarily change philosophies, but you can adapt depending on lineups. And I think the best coaches find a way to do that in order to get their best players on the floor for the maximum minutes that they can, you know, contribute in a positive manner. So um, without necessarily changing how they do things, I think, they, I think they can adapt with certain lineups. And I think that's what the best coaches do throughout the course of the season, because you have guys on your roster that all of a sudden, as you give them some more minutes, you know, you're going back into, you know, to watch film the next day and going, you know what, we, we need to get him on the floor a little bit more because we didn't expect that he would be capable of, of you know, this individual would be capable of producing in the manner which he has when we put him out there. So what lineups can we put out there and at what times is it best for us to, to, to take those, you know, to put those lineups on the floor? I, I just think it's, a, it's an ongoing process. It's a, it's a growth process. It's a maturation process of the team that you're coaching and sometimes the best lineups you can put on the floor at the end of the season heading in the conference tournament don't look anything like the best lineups you thought you had on the floor at the beginning of the season. And I think that's just part of what coaches have to do is continue to adapt, continue to, to adapt to the personnel that are playing at the highest level and find ways to put them, put them in positions to be successful. And so that might sound like a really political answer, but I think it's something that coaching staffs typically do, and the best ones find a way to do it throughout the course of a season because there's not a team in the country that's playing the same type of basketball at the end of the year that they were at the beginning of the year. And that has to do with lineup changes and development of individual players. That makes sense. You know, I think the best thing about Elijah and the thing that I really respect about him and I respect of all players like this is, you know, you can, you can play him and they don't really have to change who they are. You know, he doesn't, um, you're not running things for him, you know, He's just setting screens, playing defense, running the floor, grabbing rebounds, finishing right around the rim, right? Keeping it really simple, playing complementary basketball to what they do so well, which is, you know, let Max Aismas go. And, um, you know, the one thing, you know, that's always kind of interesting is, you know, Kevin O'Banner, especially down the stretch, he was a pretty good screen setter. And, you know, right now they're, they're not really getting a ton of pick and pop because, you know, the, 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 that ball screen isn't great. Um, and man, Lufile can lay a screen. And, um, and so, you know, in, in Deshane Weaver only averaging nine and a half points this year, I would, I, I'm pretty shocked about that. I thought, I, I thought for sure with all the vacated production this off season, I thought for sure Deshane would be around 14, 15 points per game. Right. Um, and so, you know, I don't think I don't think really anything matters around as long as Max Aismith is is healthy and happy and attacking. 
you know, all the other parts around him, you know, you could take it or leave it. It, it. It's definitely secondary to what Max does. Cause you know, Max is just going to be aggressive and read the situation. And, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of merit in both the way that Elijah can set screens and finish around the hoop. I think those are two things that he really brings that can be very complimentary and make what they're doing only better. So I think the the case could be made. I think also on the defensive end, he's going to be needed. I mean, you look at South Dakota state, you look at NDSU, right? You yeah. got to be prepared for those situations. Um, so I have no doubt that, you know, his playing time may be a little sporadic, but that doesn't make him any less important because, you know, he's going to be there in the conference tournament. I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. Yeah. And to one quick point that you made, Zach, you know, about, uh, O'Banner became a good screen setter. It, it's so funny because I've all, I always told shooters, you know, by the way, if you want to get good, clean looks, become great at setting screens. Because if you force your man to help because you set a good screen, uh, you're going to get more shot attempts. Well, O'Banner was a, was the prototypical pip, pick and pop guy. And he still mm-hmm. is at the level he's playing at. Now, Lafile is a pick and get to the front of the rim guy. And so, but, but you can still take advantage of those skill sets with both players, even though they're different in the manner in which they finish. O'Banner many times behind the three-point line, even though he was still great around the rim. But Lufile basically give me a touch, you know, in, in close proximity to the rim, and, and I'll, I'll do my best to finish. So I, I still think it's a, it's a manner in which you use him, and you can still play off of his ability to score at the front of the rim uh, off the screen and roll situation by utilizing the other three players on the floor uh, and their spacing and, and their ability to get in the vision of Asmus for kickouts after dribble penetration. So um, I, I, I do think that they both serve a great, great purpose with Lufile and what O'Banner brought. They just do it in a different manner. Yeah. Good point. I, I just wanted to bring it up again. I, and I certainly don't want to pretend that I'm here to critique any coaches. I once coached seventh and eighth grade girls in North, in North Minneapolis because the coach quit before the season started. Um, and I don't think anyone was sad when I wasn't there the next year. So uh, I, I don't want to pretend that I'm, but I just is an interesting styles thing that I saw. I only played seven minutes in the game against Western Illinois, which they lost. Um, so just an interesting um style differences in it that maybe it's just a feel thing well and the last parallel I'll, I'll draw is you know look what south dakota state's doing they're winning a lot of different ways you know teams that can win in a lot of different ways win in march because you're not going to have three games that are going to be playing out the same way right and so the more ways that you can win the better and and obviously he's a, a definite uh change up or whatever you want to call it yeah so let, I wanted to go on and kind of jump down actually a little bit. We'll get we'll get back to some of the other teams in the middle of the conference, but still playing out for that last seed. Um, North Dakota absolutely had to beat Omaha and did at home, and they still uh, go to Omaha if I'm if I'm uh, correct. And so they're two games back, or at least in the win column, two games back from Omaha. That that. With that battle, we they got St. Thomas coming up. How big is that game on 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 Thursday for UND? I mean, is that almost a must-win game against the St. Thomas team that has lost oh six or so straight in conference, six or seven straight? Yeah, yeah. I, I I I feel pretty <laughs> confident. It, it's a it's a must-win, partly because of that Denver game. You know, yeah. the, the Denver game. 
And, you know, maybe we can get to that a little later, but because they lost that game, that basically made it a must win. You know, they, so they have St. Thomas twice coming up here. They basically have to get both of them. And even if they do get both of them, they're still probably going to have to beat either Kansas city or Western Illinois uh, to get to four, because I'm not a hundred percent sure what the tiebreaker is with Omaha. My guess is it's probably like point differential head to head or something like that. And Omaha, I think still owns that from that first game. If you remember that, the first time UND and Omaha played, that's when like the bottom of UND's defense defense completely fell out. Oh yeah, so they have, they have played okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was just that disastrous weekend where they gave up like 96 points per yeah. game to like Denver and Omaha and, and that, that whole bit. So, but yeah, and, and then losing that Denver game. So yeah, you're right. It's long story short, they have to beat uh, St. Thomas not only twice but also probably Kansas City or or yeah. Western Illinois. I think if they're tied um, with a team and, and they, they split head to head, it comes down to who has the best win against the highest ranked team. And right oh. now I, I think doesn't Omaha, aren't they sitting there with a win over Western at this point? And well, so Kansas city, I think too. Yeah. And, and Kansas city. And so that shows that, you know, North Dakota has both of those teams as well. Um, uh, and, you know, I think Western on the road, Kansas city at home. So, I mean, yeah, they've got their work cut out without question, but, but they, they did what they had to do on Saturday, as, as you mentioned, Zach, to back up just a, a completely deflating loss to Denver on Thursday after being up 19 with about 13 minutes to go. So, um, you know, maybe that sparks them, and, and, and for gosh sakes, they have nothing to lose, so they're going to go get after anybody and everybody and, and try to find a way to get any win they can. Well, and Zach, I wanted to go, and I we could go into that Denver game a little bit too. That 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 would be fine. Um, I pulled up. Uh, there's a new stat called Porpagatu, which I don't even get to tell me what all those letters mean. But uh, it's a uh, player efficiency rating, and I wanted to just bring up one quick point with that. We've got Zeke Mayo at eight, and this is just in conference play, so it doesn't count non-conference. Tevin Smith at 11, Paul Bruns at 10, and Frankie Fiddler at 20. So four freshmen in the top 20 of player efficiency in in conference play. If you wanted to go a little bit into what you saw with Frankie Fiddler and then just the freshmen in general, it sure seems like we've got a class. And that doesn't even include the returning freshmen like Grant Nelson, um, Bowden Skunberg, and several others that are, got their freshman year kind of as a, a gimme back. What what both with what you saw with Fiddler over the weekend and then because uh, you both saw him actually in person and they're just the freshman class in ge- in general. Yeah, I know those those Omaha games are kind of hard to watch sometimes, but man, if you get a chance to watch Frankie Fiddler, you gotta watch him, man. You know, obviously we know there's a lot going on with Omaha right now, but I mean he's he's all a six seven, really good inside outside game, equally good from the three point line as he is on the block. I mean, just a tough guard, you know. He's uh, UND just didn't have anybody to match up with him, right? I mean, UND has a Johnny Levias and he's redshirting, and that that would be about it for about a six seven, you know, type of wing. So UND tried guarding him with the six one guy, and he pretty much just shot it right over the top of him, whether it was right on the block or uh, from outside. I mean, I I believe he had like thirty five points, and it yeah, was very yeah. efficient too. I mean, he didn't even force a single thing, and uh, was knocking down free throws down the stretch. Really nice touch. Really high release, nice touch. I mean, and and I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna become a much better athlete as he continues to physically mature. So, I mean, boy, Omaha really has something with him. Um, it, it he's a really nice player. 
He is. And, and uh, I thought he was impressive and he didn't put up near the numbers he put up in Grand Forks, but I, I thought he was a tough matchup. He's, I referred to him, you know, as, as the three of us were talking prior to the podcast, as he's, he's got an old man's game. He keeps defenders off balance. It's kind of herky jerky, but yet, um, you know, he's kind of got that, that one step fade away. Uh, he's just got a variety of, of offensive, of an offensive arsenal that are, are tough to guard. And, and he's very, uh, wise in, in, in the ability to kind of analyze how he's being defended and where the mismatches might be. So, um, yeah, it re- really, really impressive for a freshman without question. And the class in general, um, you know, Denver comes out and finds a way to get a win at UND and plays NDSU tough without one of their best freshmen, uh, who is, who's shown that he's a, a good player in the league. And from a Zeke Mayo standpoint, I don't know. I, I, if, if, if I asked the South Dakota State staff if they saw this coming, they'd even be lying to me if they said yes. Um, <laughs> he, he plays uh, with a composure um, that is beyond his years. The kid doesn't change expression. Uh, I think he has a great feel defensively. And his ability to knock down you know, the mid-range shot, uh, very good from behind the arc. But he's adapted as well as any of those more experienced players have on SDSU's team to saying, all right, if they're going to get out and close out aggressively and take away three-point opportunities, I'm going to create some things off the bounce. And as good as he is with his pull-up game, his mid-range game, his ability to create things for others is as good as anybody in the league as well. So I, I don't know if, if you know when the Summit League does the voting for the awards, are they going to have to change the freshman of the year to the to the first-year player of the year? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But, you know do you, do you take away that? And, and in a way, I think they probably should just because you, you don't want to give guys that are in their second year and they're still freshmen two chances to win the same award. I think it is truly a first-year player. So uh, there's some good ones in the league, and, and we're used to that because these coaches in the league find a way to find these diamonds in the rough and, and find players that can make an impact in a lot of different ways. So I think the Summit League – you know, when we're able to watch those guys play, and, and even Bruns from UND, who I think has been impressive uh, with his ability to, to uh, at times, kind of carry the offensive load for UND. These are guys that where you go, you look at them, you watch them play, and you say, you know what, the Summit League's in good hands for years to come. I mean, how about South Dakota State's ability to identify and recruit and sort of paint the picture for Zeke Mayo when they didn't have playing time to offer? No. Right? Yeah. I mean, he should not be playing right now. Um, there was no reason to believe that he was going to. And and how about Zeke's mail, Zeke Mayo's ability to just kind of get the bigger picture, understand that, hey, it's not all about playing time when I'm a freshman, but which program is going to develop me as a player and as a person and um, and then getting rewarded for that. You know, for every time there's a kid that transfers, there's a Zeke Mayo who gets it. And just buys in and ultimately comes out way ahead. You know, obviously, we know this is a unique situation, but I mean, just kudos to everybody involved in that situation. What a deal. And I and I go back to what Coach Wilburn said before the season when we interviewed him. He said that, you know, obviously, everybody's so focused on the transfer portal that, you know, they didn't think they'd get Tevin Smith under a normal situation. I almost wonder if that's happened with some of these other situations. You know, Paul Bruns grew up in South Dakota, only had Division II offers. And he's mm-hmm. coming in as he's a leading scorer uh, of all freshmen in the Summit League this year. And the thing that I think makes Paul Bruns different is, you know, all these other freshmen are in supporting roles. He is the guy. He is getting the best defender. Everybody's 
designing their defense to stop him. Um, and so that's what I think makes his situation a little bit different. And he's done a nice job uh, adjusting, quite frankly. Uh, their teams are being much more physical with him and everything. But, um, no, I, it's, and it just goes to show, I mean, kids are coming in more ready than ever, more physically developed, more skilled. I mean, obviously with AAU and weight training and this and that, you know, um, it's, it's really just impressive to see what they can do and, and that there's a lot of different ways that you can improve your roster. You know, it's, it's good to not forget about those high school seniors. You know, there's definitely a sentiment out there. I know there are some coaches out there that would be just perfectly fine. Just recruiting nothing, but out of the transfer portal, because they know those kids can play. They're less of a risk. They're more developed. They're more ready to go. Um, but clearly I think a balanced approach is, is the way to go because man, some of these freshmen, are just as good as these guys that have been playing basketball for two or three years in college. Well, and if you can keep them at your school, they're going to be, they could be special. Well, yeah. You I know? mean, just, just think about well, yeah, where could Zeke Mayo be in four years or three years, right. you know, like where could Paul Brunsby like that scenario exists, you know, it's, it's worth investing in it, you know? And um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely interesting. Well, it's, it's funny you guys mentioned that. And I think I'm, I'm just going to, add on to one of the aspects you talked about with the transfer portal. And, and I put a question out on Twitter, you know, where I'm going, you know, Fred Hoiberg was the, the no brainer hire for Nebraska and they have, yet to, they have yet to win a league game this year. And, and Patrick Royce, who's a, the, one of the best curmudgeons on Twitter that you can possibly follow. The guy's a great sports writer. He kind of threw something out there today where he goes, you know what? Uh, Hoiberg did it with all transfers at Iowa State and had a great level of, of success, but he did it when he was one of the few people doing it. Right now, there are 300 teams at Division One doing it through the transfer portal, and so it's right, it's right. a whole, you know, it's a different environment in which we live. And Zach, to your point, how do you recruit these freshmen and then find a way to evaluate them in, in a manner that says, yes, we believe we can keep them there. There's no, there are no givens. We all know that. And we all know that these young men have so many people in their ear and that it typically works out for fewer in the transfer portal than it does for the majority of them. But you, you just love to find a way to say, you know, is this a guy that, that we think we can keep here for four years at, at the least? And then maybe in his fifth year, if he wants to go, he can go. It's getting tougher and tougher probably to evaluate that. And it's allowing more and more people to get in the ears of people. So it, it, it's the world in which we live. There's no question about that. So I, I, I would love for the Summit League to be able to be blessed with the freshmen in this league for the next three years after this. Well, I know for a fact coaches are taking into account just kind of what you were saying, Greg. Like, what kind of kid is this? Is this the kid that wants to jump at every opportunity out there? And, right. and, I, and, I, and I'm a big believer in this. I'm a big believer in like, this is exactly why I follow recruiting because – you know, kids that love the attention and want the absolute hot biggest offer, despite what may actually be the best spot for them. That's a huge red flag, man. I, th I really think coaches are going to start discounting those kids because they, they can't be investing time in kids that aren't there for the long haul, you know, and don't get me wrong. Like I get kids wanting to put themselves in their best situation too, you know, but you know, if coach has to choose, you know, two like two similar players, obviously one's going to be heavily given much more weight because they're probably going to be there for much longer. And I think, you know, particularly up at UND, they took a long, hard look at that, that component this year compared to years of the past. And, um, and I, and I, I think they got it. Um, the other thing is, is obviously schools in this league, 
you got to zig while everybody's zagging. You have to. Like, you're not going to win recruiting battles against the Mountain West. You're not going to win them against certainly Power Five schools, but you know, mm-hmm. even like Mac schools. Like, you, you just you have to look in places other people aren't and get on kids early and you know that like that's the Paul Brun situation you know and and so um while everybody goes in the transfer portal you can't beat them at that game they're better at it than you they have more resources so I understand why you go back to the high school you know so that whole concept is really fascinating to me um and that's probably more of a conversation for you know after the season but um no doubt it's it's we're, we're seeing it play out in front of our eyes here with all these great freshmen in the league well, well, it is. Go ahead. Well, go ahead. Tom. Go ahead, Greg. Well, I was just going to say it. I think in the recruiting aspect of things, and, and this is true, Zach. I think you brought up some really good points. That I think during the recruiting process, not only are the coaching staffs evaluating kids' abilities to play, but they reveal themselves on social media. And if they're the guys that love the attention, that love the process, and that will still love the process after they supposedly commit to you and and sign on the dotted line to come to play for you for year one are they the type of guy that's going to continue to love that process of how much attention can i get and where can i go after this i think i think those things are going to be evaluated i I really do and and social media allows a lot of these young kids and it allows a lot of us idiot adults i'll just you know me included to reveal themselves as to kind of what their thought process is and what their priorities are and so I think that probably factors more into recruiting, you know, in this day and age than it ever has. And it, and it will continue because coaches, as much as we know that there's a merry-go-round of, of players moving from one institution to another, there are a lot of kids that, that will say, you know what, I'm going to this institution because I want to go make an impact and I want to leave a legacy and I want to be part of a championship program. And I know I have more power to do that in my third and fourth year than I do in my first and second. And the, the last thing I'll say is, the, now that we have data on these like first two years, essentially, of this transfer portal and being immediately eligible, I got to believe it's going to tap down some of this irrational exuberance. You know, it's it's bleak. I mean, it's literally like five or ten percent of kids are better, truly bettering their situation. Right. Uh, and like almost 50 aren't even finding another scholarship. So, I mean, but that's the last thing I'll say about that until the offseason. Well, and uh, just to add to both your points, and, and again, I, we don't want to make this a anti-transfer portal podcast, but at the same time, when I look at that same player efficiency rating, only two transfers from this year are on it. You got Trenton Masner and Evan Gilliard, and no one would argue that both of those players are incredibly impactful on their teams. But the team that relied the most on bringing in transfers to to build their roster western illinois isn't really in much a better spot we sure thought they were but they're gonna at the end of the year they're barely gonna be better in league than they were last year and so like there is this balance of building from from the beginning and adding players that can help you along the way south dakota state oral roberts and north dakota state the three strongest programs in the league their entire starting lineups basically are players that were brought in at least with several years to go um, from the junior college level or freshman. And so no one's saying you can't build. I mean, Evan Gilliard's one of the best players in the league and he's a, he's a senior transfer, but uh, 
it, it is interesting after that conversation with Coach Wilburn and all of that to to see that there might just be some more talent in the freshman level players that are being brought in than, than there ever has been in the past. Well, and both of you guys reference, you know, data. I mean, actual data that shows that, you know, the, the legacy type players, the guys that commit to doing things in the long run, more than often, that is the best route to success. We also know in this day and age that data can be uh, completely ignored and say, you know, that applies to everybody except me. So uh, <laughs> sure. great points, great points on all of it. And I, I do think the coaches in this league and Zach, to your point, I, I do think, you know, people are going to start seeing this, that, you know what, maybe the transfer portal isn't the end all be all for every single person that thinks they should be getting 22 minutes when they're only getting 18. Right. Oh, and a side quick note that I haven't even talked to you guys about yet. Uh, Tamel Pearson, we'll have an interview with him on the podcast for next week. Um, so he's going to sit down next next week, and we'll have 10, 15 minutes with him on the podcast. Um, after, we, after we talked about Western Illinois, maybe not the best light for the last 20 minutes, but what have you. But uh, so, yeah, just something to look forward to for uh, next week's podcast as well. Um. Let's see. Is there other things we still want to hit on before we wrap up today? Um, well, let's go back into that North Dakota Denver game. We talked a little bit about it, uh, Zach. Just is that going to be the thing that keeps North Dakota out of the the Summit League tournament? And it did. The one thing I'll say about Denver, they still have some pieces that they need to fit in and things like that. But man, that team never stops. I just appreciate that that coaching staff for that. Yeah, you know, they, they play hard. KJ Hunt, he had a special game. Yeah. I mean, he just, you know, it just really highlighted the importance of having a guy that could just go get his own bucket, you know. It, yeah. it It's actually kind of a rare thing when you look around the league. I mean, KJ Hunt's one of those guys. Frankie Fiddler is one of those guys. Um but man, you know, there was just stretches where that Denver offense went a little stagnant and KJ Hunt would just go get his own bucket. And man, that just carried him through everything. Uh, yeah, no, UND has just been doing everything but winning. And yeah. you're right, it may cost them in the end. But the, the thing that I appreciate about them so much, there has not been one bit of head hanging, finger pointing, uh, whatever. They have not let the outcome of these games dictate their level of effort. And so I really think uh, that that bodes well for their future. Re Grant broke out. That's probably, I think, one of the stories of the Denver game. Um, it, it, well, he really kind of broke out against South Dakota State, but you know he's playing much, much better. And so now they actually have like a true point guard. Uh, Caleb Nero came back, and so he's now healthy. That's uh, another huge development because he was playing really well at the time that he got hurt. Um, so there's definitely some good developments here. You know, UND's they've been narrowing it down. They've been playing better every single game for probably the last month. And, um, quite honestly, they, they should have be Western Illinois at home. Um, you could argue they should have be South Dakota state at home. They against, against all these and, and South Dakota, all these games, they've had a really clean look to, it wasn't exactly at the buzzer, but like to take the lead with like a couple seconds left in all these games, even against South Dakota state. They had a shot against Denver. Paul Bruns got the most open shot he's gotten all year. 
And I don't know if he's a little surprised by how open he was and missed it. And then Bentu Panom also had a 12-footer. If one of those two goes in, you know, that was, that was a clean look. If one of those two goes in, you would easily wins. Um, and so it's just it's just unbelievable how they haven't been able to win some of these games. And, you know, certainly not an X's and O's deal and certainly not a lack of effort deal. But, you know, it's just nice to see them break through against Omaha. You know, I mean, they just they really just needed that one. Um I was a little concerned after the Denver game. I'll be honest. I, uh, losing in that mat, they've never lost in a manner like that. It's always been, you know, they got down early and then they tried to come back, but they've never had a lead and lost it like that. And so, uh, again, just, just really impressed with their culture. Um, you know, there, there's some personnel things and, and personnel and, and some of the players are developing, but, uh, and a lot of that will be addressed in the off season, you know, guys coming back, guys that are red shirting, things like that. That'll help the team next year. Um, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of the credit does go to Denver, you know, and, and coach Wilburn did say that after the game, you know, it, this is two teams that really have not handled both types of situations. Well, and I mean, and, and that goes to Denver, that Denver has been on the other side of that type of win quite frequently. And for them to break through is a big deal to them too. I mean, to come back, you know, they weren't knocking down shots and they still found a way the, the culture is, the culture is now set in Denver, man. Yeah. You know, th- those freshmen are good. They're, they're playing hard. Um, just couldn't be more impressed with which, what coach coach Wilburn's done uh, in a very short period of time. Right. So, well, both teams and, and I, I have great respect for the fact that, you know, this late in the season, you might not have the record you want, but your guys are still getting out there and getting after it for, for the other guys that wear the uniform, they're busting their tail and, and then they're getting on the floor for loose balls. They're competing. Yeah. It's a gut wrenching loss. For UND without question but I had a chance to watch Denver as well and just impressed I, I Denver to me is a scary team in the tournament they've got a good three big rotation they've got perimeters you know you talk about KJ Hunt if they get the, the freshman Smith back <laughs> they are not far from being a, a pretty complete team right. granted you know don't have a ton of experience together but they're gaining that they're gaining some confidence. That win up at Grand Forks had, was a huge, uh, you know, uh, win for them. And it had, as much as it hurt UND, for UND to turn around and not hang their heads and find a way to get a win against Omaha, I love teams that compete their tails off. You can put your head on the pillow at night if you know that you're putting great effort out there every night. And if you know you're not beating yourself, you force the other teams to, to find a way to beat you. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure there were mistakes made down the stretch against Denver by UND that you'd love to have back, but it, it wasn't because of a lack of effort or a lack of toughness or a lack of togetherness. And those are the types of programs where you, where you want to see some good things happen to them. And I believe UND has an opportunity in front of them with their schedule. Not easy. It's going to take probably a better effort than what they put on the floor against um, Omaha to get a win. And for what they did, you know, on the floor for 30 minutes to, to build a big lead against Denver. And that's what you have to sell your guys on. But you know, if you have heart, if you have toughness, if you have togetherness as a coach, in spite of what your record says and in spite of what the outside noise says, you, you, you're you okay. You, you know, you, you can live with that. And then if you find a way to say, you know, we need to upgrade talent in certain areas, you, you find a way to do that. But um, I, I think Coach Wilburn's done a heck of a job at Denver, and I don't think Coach Taylor's done with this group this year at UND. Well, and just one other thing, I, you know, Denver lost at North Dakota State. But it was 
a two point game with under five minutes left. Absolutely. Like they, they just, it, it's nice to see the battle. They don't have the talent of a North Dakota state or who, you know, some of the top teams in the league, but if those freshmen continue to grow, I mean, again, we've said this all season when the bottom of the league starts getting better, when Western Illinois is better, when Denver's better, you know, if Omaha, Omaha can start turning it around North Dakota, that's just good for the league in general. So, well, and I'm just going to say this, we all think and say, this team should beat this team. This team should beat this team. We've all watched enough basketball where you watch, uh, you know, and, and whether it's first round upsets in the tournament, there is not a huge difference. You, you can't go out there and play mediocre and expect to win every night. And that's probably why we all are amazingly impressed by the fact that SDSU is sitting there unbeaten. Do they have great talent? They certainly do. They're well coached. But it doesn't take much to have an off night. And right. it takes a ton to have at least an above average night, night in, night out. There's not a huge difference between, you know, a, a team that has four wins and a team that has 12 wins. There's just, there isn't. Right. And it still takes the ability to go out and get it done night in, night out. And I think that's where some coaches and their staffs have to be given a ton of credit because consistency is one of the hardest things to come by. Going back to both of your points early in this podcast, consistency is one of the toughest things to instill in your guys and to play with throughout the course of a season. You know, this, that's exactly why I'm glad we're in the analysis business and not the prediction business, you know, <laughs> because, you know, it's, it's just incredible how many of these games come down to a shot. You know, I think every single UND game, you know, like, like I said before, you could argue that they could have won the game if they knocked down like, good shots. I'm not talking about even like four shots or whatever, like good shots that they normally make, uh, they could win, you know, and that's South Dakota state too. It just turns into so much of a make or miss situation. I know it's not great analysis or anything like that, but I mean, you know, making or missing shots, that's a lot of it. And does that mean anybody's doing something right or wrong necessarily? Not really. It's just sort of the way it plays out. And so, uh, you're absolutely right, Greg. That's what makes what South Dakota State doing all the more impressive, you know, in doing it on the road, doing it on the yeah. road at South Dakota, doing it on the road at NDSU. Like, that's a lot harder than what people think. It, I mean, playing on the road is it's it's much, much difficult and much more difficult than people think. It really is. Well, with that, I think we'll wrap up. We got three weeks left in the conference season. So you'll probably have two what we would call mostly standard podcast where we talk about the the last weeks of games where things are at things like that in three weeks i'm guessing we will have a summit league tournament uh podcast preview which will still include there will be games left to play but we'll kind of preview the tournament talk about who we think is best set up and things like that and this is the stretch we talked about it earlier this is where teams are starting to gear up to get ready for that big push at the end of the season so plenty to talk about for the next three weeks but i think we'll wrap up for this week, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.